Hello, everyone. As you can tell, I need some help with reading. So uh, yeah, there's a lot there to talk about. You guys can hear me? Yeah, OK, it's good. Yeah, I, my name is Josh, if you guys don't know me. And we're going to go through another census today, right? So aren't you guys excited? It's another, it's another half of the census. Yeah, Freddie started the first half. And then I get to end the last half. And this census actually reminds me of building a house, right? They're, they're carrying the beams. They're having all the curtains. I'm actually, you know, I might look like some hippie artist guy to you, but I actually grew up in construction. And I actually have done every part of building a house. So when I was in my early 20s, my family, we had to move, and we had to move over, and we had to build our house from scratch. So I helped with every single part. So we did the foundation, I did the walls, I did the 40-foot trusses we had, we did the, 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 the framing, the forming, all the, the, the ceiling, right? Did all the concrete work, all the drywall work, all the painting, all the stuff, right? So it's a lot. And it was, took a long time. And you're like, okay, what, what do y'all do it for? Right? I, didn't, I didn't get paid. I did it with my brother and my father, and we built in the entire house. So why would you do it? Well, of course, you'd think, well, it's for building a house, right? You need to live somewhere, and it's for your family. And yes, it is kind of a means to an end of getting a house, but the means wasn't just empty. It wasn't just blind work. I did it with my family, with my brother, with my father. We actually like, learned to grow together. We like, persevered at the same task. It's an important thing, especially for men, that we like work towards something together. We grow, grow in our relationship with one another, and we enjoy one another. You know, when we're not frustrated at the, the beam or something falling or whatever, but we grew in our love for one another and for the work we were doing. It wasn't just meaningless. So that's what is kind of getting at today. These Levites have a lot of work to do that they are doing, but it is also worship. So that is our big idea for today. Our work is worship. So we're going to go through this with, firstly, our holy God in the first kind of half, and then, secondly, our holy workship. So work and worship together. So we start off with the Lord commanding uh, there to be a census taken. Right, there's three groups we had it read. There's the Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites. These are three clans or the three main families within the tribe of Levi. And so Freddie talked about the first, uh, the other 12 tribes, how they were um, connected around the tabernacle for times of service, for war, right, for protection. And so why are these Levites different? What's going on here? We read actually in the chapter earlier, like one to two is the other tribes, and three and four are Levites. So in three, 12, we read, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And so here we have kind of a, a concession moment. God has freed these people from slavery in Egypt. So if you remember that story, that they were slaves in Egypt 400 years, and God said, I want to make you a people. I want to make you mine uniquely. And you are not any better than the Egyptians. All of you deserve to die for your sin, yet I will have grace on you, and you can be my people. I will call you out of this slavery if you put your trust in me. So you put the blood of the animal over your doorpost, and I will not let you get what your sins deserve. I will give you free grace and mercy. You will not get what you deserve. You'll actually gain more than what you deserve. You will gain life. And all the firstborn are mine because the firstborn was against the Egyptians, as we read there. 
So all the firstborn of the Egyptians died, but all the firstborn of Israel were redeemed or set apart, consecrated to belong to God. They deserved to die, but yet God said, I'm going to consecrate them to be my own. And so you are supposed to be a whole nation of priests, a priestly people. Every single firstborn was supposed to be a priest, and yet this is the Levites being the priestly group, and the priests were from it. Aaron and his family were the priests, but the Levitical group was kind of set distinct. So this is kind of a concession moment that even that should hint at us, oh, God is holy other, and we are sinful. We remember that, yeah, we did not honor the Lord. We were worshiping other things, and the Levites rallied and said, no, we're going to be for the Lord. We're his people. He brought us out of Egypt. And so the Levites were said to be chosen to set apart in the place of the firstborn. So still, they are all God's people. They're all the firstborn, but the Levites would be in place of the firstborn. So all this kind of comes to mind as we start off this chapter. Yet as we note what is happening, we see that the Kohathites, and they're supposed to carry the unique items. It's kind of the first half is what we read. Uh, but even in that, the priests are the ones kind of doing the work. There is this work of the Levites to, uh, to guard, which we'll talk about kind of military language like the other tribes, but it's also hosting language to be between the Israel and God. They would host God and host the people to know God. Yet even in their work here, it is not them who are wrapping it up, as we read. It is the priests. We read in verse 5, When the camp is to set out, Aaron and his son shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they shall put on it a covering of goat skin and spread on top of that a cloth all of blue and shall put in its poles. And over the table of the bread of the presence, they shall spread a cloth of blue and put on it the plates, the dishes for incense, the bowls, the flagons for the drink offerings, the regular showbread also shall be on it. Then they shall spread over them the cloth of scarlet and cover the same with a covering of goat skin and shall put in its poles. And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover the lampstand and the light with its lamps, its tongs, its trays, and all the vessels for oil with which it is supplied. And they shall put it with all its utensils in a covering of goat skin and put it on the carrying frame, etc., etc. There's continual covering of all these items. I read that lengthy, and that's only halfway through. You guys know, we read the whole thing. But they keep covering all these items up. This is what the priests are doing. So what are the Kohath? I thought this was supposed to be the service of the Kohathites. But that the, the priests are the ones that are covering it. Right? So they take their item, and they're covering it, and they cover it again. And they go to the next one, and they cover that one, and again. And they take down even the veil. So this is the veil between the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt enthroned above the cherubim, and the holy space where all these items were, all these holy items of the menorah, of the table of showbread, all these were God's items that he had consecrated, set aside to be holy unto him. And yet, uh, even this, this curtain that they had to take down, they would not look in to where the curtain was, right? So you're slowly taking it, I guess they had ladders, whatever, and they're like taking down the curtain. And you would not look at God's presence lest you die, but you would slowly cover the ark with it where God's presence was uniquely uh, placed in, on earth above that ark. So they would cover that, to not look upon it. All these layers are happening. So despite all the most honored role of carrying these unique items, these Kohathites couldn't look upon them. They couldn't even come in, right? Only the priests could come in. There's all these layers, layers. This is kind of like a museum or archaeology, right? You guys heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They are ancient text that we found uh, kind of around the time of Jesus, where they were uh, a tribe or a little grouping of Jews that escaped, 
and they were living in the desert, and they wrote down all their texts, and they would study them. And so we found these. So they're like 2,000 years old. And so, of course, you know, you're going to carefully touch these things, right? They're only one. They're only one of these. So you can't let it break. So you're going to slowly bring it back. And what do they do? They have it in concealed rooms, right? You have their, your, all your temperatures regulated perfectly. It's like hermetically sealed, no dust. If you're going to go touch it, which you shouldn't do unless you're trained, you have gloves on, you have a mask on, can't breathe on it, don't want you know mask too soon, I get it, but the mask will keep for all the germs, right? You don't want this thing to, to, to rot, right? You don't want moisture around, so that's why the room is settled, and you don't want to touch it because of oil and your skin, like all, this, all these layers, 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 on purpose to preserve these things. So we get this image, and, but there's also more layers. So we have a slide which should show the camp. Oh. Yeah, so there's more layers going on. So outside the camp was the wild, right? This is what we called our theme, the wild or the wilderness. Out there is all the other nations and their practices of worshiping goat idols and other things. They worship God their own way. And then the camp itself is God's people, where God's like, I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to be yours, and you're going to be mine. And so you have all the, the tribes around it, but then also there's the Levites. So even the tribe coming to where God dwells at the center would have to go through the Levites, and then even there, you have layers of the tent of meeting itself. There's an, I don't have another picture, but there, if you see the tent of meeting, there's layers in there as well. So as we see, even with their jobs, they're laid out in a kind of a hierarchy or a way in which the, all the pieces are carried, right? So the Merites would carry all the posts and beams, and then the Gershonites would carry all the curtains. So that's like your outside wall. So you're like, okay... I, God has, is my God, he, we are his people, I want to go meet with him, I want to be with him, and yet, okay, I got to go through, I got to come around, oh, there's the Levites, right, okay, there's one door, I got to go through this wall, and I come through the wall, and oh, then there's the tabernacle, I can't actually go in there, tabernacle, only the priest can go in there, so that's, that's God's house where he lives, and then even in there, there's layers, where the priest can enter there, but they can't enter the most holy place, only one man, once a year, the high priest, could enter the most holy place to dwell where God uniquely dwelled. So there's all these layers. And even there is once a year to atone for the sin of the people. So they cannot enter in. Why? Not because God doesn't want them there, but because of their sin involved. And so this kind of can make us think of what I thought of is somebody wrapping your gift in duct tape. So I get, you guys have probably seen that, where like, I want to give you this gift, it's your brother, usually, and they want to make it hard for you, right? So they get you this gift, hopefully, hopefully it's not empty, and they'll wrap it in duct tape, and then you like put in saran wrap, right? And then you put in plaster or something, paper mache, and then you, more saran wrap, and then you put more duct tape on, and then you put in a box, and you wrap that one in duct tape, and another box, you know, you guys get the idea. But like, why all this extra layers? It seems like such a burden to us, we don't understand. Yet for them, it was a joy because of the gift, right? Like, like we said, outside the camp is all the other nations. God has not revealed himself to them. This is their big thing. We, as the Jewish nation, as the Israelites, God has uniquely uh, revealed himself to us. He's given us his law. We know how to live. He's given us the law. If you want to know how to live as a human, here you go. And so these layers are understandable, but they're just excited that they get to be with God. Last year I preached a sermon. I made this reference. We're in the center of the camp. God is like the source of life. He's like the garden, the tree of life at the center. So as the camp has these kind of layers, also God 
or the garden had layers, where we have the center of the garden where the trees were, and then there is the garden itself, and then the garden is in the land of Eden, and then Eden is in you know, the land that was made. So there's layers there. So this is imaging that. They are kind of a new creation, a new people here, and God is at the center. He is a source of life, of goodness, of joy, of morality. And we have him. He wants to dwell with us. But as I said, our sin is in the way. And so this is what all these layers are speaking to here. God is like the sun. We are too impure to go touch the sun, right? I can't even look at the sun too long or else I'll go blind. I am so tangible. I can't withstand the glory of the sun, let alone God. So we, we get these layers are speaking to this. And this even is more emphasized with the Kohathites dying if they see these things. We read in verse 18, Let not the tribe of the clans of the Kohathites be destroyed from among the Levites, but deal thus with them that they may live and not die when they come near to the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them each to his task and to his burden, but they shall not go in to look on the holy things even for a moment, lest they die. As we notice, there's these layers. Even they have a layer of hierarchy. They can't go in, right? Only the priests can go in. And as we mentioned, there's that holy of holies that not even the priests can go in. Only the most holy or the, the, most, the high priest could go into that most holy place and once a year. And this is even hinted at in our texts. If you go to verse 13, all these layers and these items, and 13 talks about the ashes, they should take away the ashes from the altar. These ashes hints at this whole system and why there's all these layers. There is the ashes of the sacrifice. So you would come to the front gate, you'd get through the guards, go toward God, and there'd be this altar there, always burning, and that is where you'd bring your sacrifice. You'd realize, yeah, Lord, I sinned. I realize my sin is not just a mistake, it is evil, undistorted. I don't want to be like all the other people. I want to be new. I want to be changed. But I can't come near you. My sin holds me back. God wants us to dwell near. He has come to them to dwell in their midst. And yet our sin holds us. We deserve to die. Yet this animal is dying in my place. That's what you'd see. And you'd see it going up to God. What I mean is offering means like to go up. And so this item, this, this animal, is now going up. Its pure life is going to God, and it has died in my place. This pure animal has died for my sin. This layer of sin is also in the way. And so this animal represents uh, my, my life, my, my sin, and I deserve to die, and it goes up to God. And so in doing that, now I am right with God, and I can dwell with him, and he can dwell with me. And so you can come to think, well, this is heavy, right? All these layers. Now there's this level of sin. These Levites, they're doing these things. They're connected to Aaron and Moses. They're from the same tribe. They're probably good, godly people. I have no hope. I can't do this. I can't follow these things. I'm not like God. And the good news is neither could the Levites. Theirs was by grace. As we noted at the beginning, the Egyptians... and had the Israelites under slavery, and they were redeemed by grace. They didn't deserve it any more than the Egyptians to live. God said, I would redeem you. I will take you out, and you will be my people by grace. 
and the Levites here, it is by grace that they even have this role to be able to host God to the people, to be in the process of knowing and coming near to God. The sacrifices that the priests burn on behalf of people, bringing their life up to God, that smoke goes up, that has been reversed with Jesus. We have grace through him. When Jesus died, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, from God to us to man, mankind. Though we are sinful, God said, I want to dwell with you. I'm going to make a way. I ripped it down from me to you. I've come in Jesus. I have lived the life you ought to live, and now instead of an animal, I as a human will die in your place for your sin, so that you can come to me. I have come down, made a way, and Jesus ascended to the Father. His life goes up, and he gives the Holy Spirit for us to empower us to live this new life away from sin, out of the wild, to him, the source of life, and have life everlasting in him. This is the great news, all these layers are done away with. We read in Hebrews 4, 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. And again, emphasizing his sacrificial death on our behalf, we read in Hebrews 7, 27, he has no need like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So what can we do? Well, there's nothing left to do. Jesus has given the sacrifice once and for all. All these layers are done away with. So if you've not turned to Christ, if you're still wandering in the wilderness in your own way of understanding who God is, I would urge you to come to Christ. We can go with him into the most holy place through that that ripped curtain, that veil. And so we can boldly draw near to God because of what he has done. And what of us who have turned to Christ? Well, what do we do? Well, there's, there's all this other work. There's holy workship for us to do, just like the Levites. There's joy in their work. So we'll talk about this in two ways. They are in the wilderness, and they aren't going to make it. If you guys know this, there's another census at the end, and there's different people there. Eliezer's the new high priest, all new people. What happens? Well, they, they fail. They die in the wilderness. They're excited. They're like, yes, we can draw near to God. Let's, let's obey. Let's follow the system. But they keep disobeying. They don't actually want to know God. Their hearts are not in it. They're not transformed and so they, uh, they just don't follow through. And so that question then is, what will the end of your story be? The wild is dangerous. Are you going to make it? I think there are two types of work that we'll talk through will help us persevere. There are two types of workship. One aspect of their work is emphasized in verse 28. It says, this is the service of the clans of the sons of the Gershonites in the tent of meeting, and their guard duty is to be under the protection of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the high priest. Guard duty. Guarding was part of their duty, part of their worship, uh, but why? Why is there a border around God? We talked about kind of all these layers. Why? Why is there this extra layer of them guarding it? I think it's helpful to frame this with 
the idea of doctrine or beliefs or understanding of God. The physical guarding was not just to physically guard you to keep you, but it was teaching you something that, yes, God is holy. I am not. I need to bring an animal on my behalf for me to even be in right relationship with God. If I try, I would die. He is that holy, and I am that sinful in my state. And so this physicalness, this guarding, is teaching. A good place to turn to as we think about this in the kind of New Testament, after Christ, people of God, we read in Timothy, 1 Timothy 13, Paul is talking to Timothy, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given you by prophecy, where the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see you progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So like the Levites, we are to guard, not physically, but to guard the understanding, the doctrines of God, of Jesus, because these are the way to life, to eternal life. We need to guard it strongly. Don't let other people define who God is. God has defined himself, and we need to hold that. If not, we're believing in a false God, in a different idea of a way to life. Same with Jesus. There's all, you know, all the cults of the world, all the religions, even our, our governments in the world say, I have a different way of salvation. If you do these things, then we'll have a utopia. Humanity will be perfect. Uh, we need to hold strongly that note. Jesus has said who he is. He is the way to the Father. He's the only way for salvation. And it's free. Come. And so we need to preach that message. We need to guard the doctrines of the faith, to guard uh, what Jesus says about himself. I like to think of this as a, a bounds to a playground. Right? There's, it's actually a quite large playground. People think Christianity is very limited, but the bounds are the, dark, the, the doctrines. Doctrines. The doctrines. And so play within here. This is where freedom is found. This is where I dwell, God says, where freedom, life, abundance, good, goodness, truth. This is all found within these bounds, but not outside of these bounds. Outside of these bounds is death. It's going your own way. It won't lead you well. It might seem good for a while, wandering in the wilderness, doing your own thing, but you will die out there. I want you to have life come. But it makes sense. Within the bounds is life. There has to be bounds. Outside of life is death, right? Just logical. So outside of God is non-God, is non-good, non-beauty. All these things will go away. And so the bounds are the doctrines, and we should be in them in order to have life. This is how God presents himself. He does not put bounds to be a stickler, but he wants us to have life, to come, to know him, to dwell, to have abundance. And noted by Paul earlier, if we persevere in these truths, then we will give life to ourselves and our hearers. If we want people to find life, we need to hold strongly to these bounds of life, or else we're leading people into death. And so this is what this guarding does here. To make it in the wild, you, you, you need these things. Life is dangerous. Many of you are young, you're, you're pursuing jobs, you're learning a trade, you're learning information, you want to change the world, or you want to uh, per, you know, at least get some money to pursue a family one day. And yet, I want to, like, you should hold on to the bounds, the proper doctrine to keep you to persevere. We don't want to be like the Israelites who die in the wilderness. Life is hard, it is dangerous. So I'd urge you to, to study, to come, to hear the word preached, so you know the proper bounds within that has found life. 
Get in a small group. We're going to talk about that later. As Bonnie was saying, get involved. Lead the, the young ones well, and you will find life there as well. And so we see all this. We see also another way of their work, not just guarding, but also all this other work they're doing. So in relation to the tabernacle, right, they have this work. They are taking these curtains. Why are they doing this up and down, taking these things? What is going on? Is all this pointless? In verse 36, it sums it up well. They shall do all that needs to be done. There's all this mention of the service of the Kohathites, service of the Gershonites. Work, work. Is this just pointless work? Obviously, you probably don't think I think that, or else I wouldn't call it workship. But their work is worship. It is not just pointless work. There is actually another reference to the work of the Levites, not just carrying beams and curtains and carrying these items. Uh, you, know, you think, oh yeah, probably in Exodus or in Leviticus. But no, there's actually a mention in First Chronicles. It says that once the, they are settled in the land and David is king, he sets up the Levites to do other things. We read in First Chronicles 6, 31, these are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. They performed their service according to their order. These are the men who served. Sons of the Kohathites, Heman, the singer, the son of Joel, son of Samuel. Continues, brother Asaph, who stood on the right hand, namely Asaph, the son of Barak, son of Shemaiah, son of Jahath, son of Jershon, son of Levi. And on the left, there were brothers, the sons of Merari, so the idea here is that all the Levitical groups are here. They are all serving for song, to sing, to bring in the people. Come, learn in song, learn the doctrine of the faith, learn how great God is that he redeemed us from, from, uh, in, in the story of Exodus from Egypt. So both of these works are worship, where they do the service to host people to come and know God and to do the song so people can hear and understand who he is, remember that they can sing praises and enjoy him, an outlet for them to sing to God. So this is their worship, and this is not unlike, in a way, somebody has to set up the chairs, somebody has to sing, somebody hosts, we have food, we have someone has to serve the food. As Bonnie was saying, we need to care for these little ones, there's so many, we don't want to turn people away. There are service work for us to do. But this work also is worship. Like the band, they work really, really hard at learning their instrument, at learning how to sing well, to lead us all in worship together. And yet it is a joy. It is not blind work. Of course, there's days where it can seem hard. But it is worship. It is worship that is your work. So these things we do are not simply tasks. Like the Levites, they are a way to worship God. Often we can call them spiritual disciplines, and I want to kind of represent or present a new term for you, because I find that one can throw people off, where it's like, oh, if I discipline myself, A plus B equals C equals spiritual things, spiritual disciplines. If I discipline, discipline, work, I will get spiritual, which is whatever it is, patience for you, or an understanding of God, an intellectual understanding, whatever it is. If I put this in, I will get this out. And I'm like, well, yes, we need to discipline ourselves, because we are weak, and I you know, need to work because I get sidetracked, right? I get wandered in the wilderness. And I need to work hard at these things, focus on God. And yet also, I 
think it's better to frame it as a means of grace, this understanding that the Puritans had, and it kind of is what it is. It's a means by which it can receive more grace. So these are avenues. So if we think of the playground analogy, these are like the structures on the playground. They're not just there to look at. They're not just art. They are means by which we can enjoy, that we can play, have fun. We can enjoy one another. And so God has put these things in the bounds of who he is, all this freedom to enjoy him. He hasn't built them just to look at. These are means by which we can know God more. So what I mean is things like prayer. This is usually a spiritual discipline. Oh, I need to pray every morning. I need to read my Bible. I need to come to NYA and listen to Josh preach on some census book. And this just seems like a waste of time. It seems kind of boring. But these are means by which we can know God more. And so this is what I want to uh, encourage us with. But often we can still seem like, okay, Josh, you kind of just changed the name. Instead of spiritual discipline, it's means of grace. Yeah, yeah. But I still find it work. I don't find it enjoyable. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. I definitely don't want to hear you talk about numbers in the desert. Sounds like math to me. I don't like math. And so this is just work. What, what do you mean, Josh? I don't have the desire to do this. Yes, I trust in Jesus to be my savior, but I find this hard. I don't want to do this. So what can we do? Well, like turning to Christ, because we can't do any work to cause salvation, we also should turn to God for an enjoyment of these means of grace. Lord, help me. I, you know, there's the slide, there's the, the tire swing, which is, you know, awesome, but they take those away because I think they're too dangerous. I think God would have them. And so you're like, okay, that one's a little dangerous. I hurt myself on the tire swing. But God's like, okay, God, help me. I'm I'm a little afraid of that. I prayed out loud once. I felt horrible. I was comparing myself to others. And I I don't know how to pray. I just don't want to pray. And reading my Bible, I don't really understand it. You know, there's numbers. There's a book on Deuteronomy. What does even that mean? Right? There's all these things. I don't understand. But it's like, no, like, okay, yeah, you got hurt or you felt misunderstood on the tire swing. But it's like, okay. Okay, God, help me. Help me to enjoy these means by which I can know you more. He's like, I set this up. Jesus is like, I built these means of grace through my blood, and I want you to enjoy them. So come, enjoy them. Ask me. I will teach you how to enjoy me through these means of grace. Because just like the Levites, just like the Israelites, just like us of getting grace to come into relationship with God, it's also God's grace to give us these desires to enjoy him. And so we need to ask him for that. And so we can ask God to change us. We can also ask God to help us enjoy it with, with others, with our brothers and sisters. We're in that playground together. Let's, let's learn from one another. So I encourage you, as I close, to just think about these things. Learn from one another. Those that have been on the tire swing longer than you. Those who have practiced prayer. Those who have practiced reading. Learn from one another. Be in community. So as I end thinking about, back to my story of me building the house, yes, my work was a means to get a house for my family, but also it was a means to make a home where we could host together and learn from one another and grow together, have life. So I want us to think of that and to think of trying to use these means of grace more than we do. We don't just have prayer on the side. We don't just have uh, food to enjoy conversation together just because it's church, or we don't just have a sermon just because that's what church people do. These are means by which we can know God more. So I encourage you to think, to contemplate, maybe sit a little longer after the service or come for prayer. We'd love to talk, pray with you, and just, yeah, just get in practice of these means of grace to know God more. I'm gonna close in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all this 
work that you have us to do, and it is a joy. Help us to enjoy it. We thank you, Father, for uh, just the Levites and them doing this work faithfully and allowing Israel to come and know you. But most of all, we thank you that you have made a way for us to know you, that you want us to come to know you, to love you more, and you've made a way, and you've made these means by which we can have more grace. Help us to use them, and we ask all this in the powerful name. Amen.